If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Interviews, news, and views. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Okay, welcome to State of the Nation with uh, Steve Hook. That would be me. I'm broadcasting live from the Jersey Shore and my man Brian Hesher McLean in Central Texas. We've got a big show for you. Hesher, how are you, my friend? It's so great to see you again, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Very good. Glad to see you as well. And thank you for tuning in to us right here at today's News Talk TNT Radio. What's new, Steve? Well, we've got a lot going on, as you know, uh, as we speak in California. Uh, President Biden is meeting with President Xi Jinping, and uh, they have cleaned up the streets of needles and uh, and fecal matter, which is good. You know, I mean, if you're going to have a world leader into your city, it's always good to get the uh, the the, the uh, you know, the, the debris of the junkies out of the way. And uh, so they've done that. Of course, as we talked about yesterday, Ahesh, they had no uh, inclination to do that for the actual citizens of San Francisco. Uh, but when you get a commie in there, uh, well, now we got to clean up because we got to prove that our capitalist system is better than theirs. So uh, so that's what he did. Unbelievable. But there it is. So that's happening. And um, and there's a lot more going on. We're going to be discussing uh, quite a few things over the course of the uh, of the big showgram here. I did want to touch on one thing that I thought was rather interesting. And I don't know if you saw this, Hesh, but uh Ron DeSantis has written an op-ed in the New York Post. Uh, It actually came out last night, but it's actually a pretty good op-ed, if I do say so uh, myself. I mean, you know, listen, I I always thought Ron DeSantis did a good job uh, with the state of Florida. I think anybody that would think otherwise is, well, they haven't been to the state of Florida because he really has straightened that state out. That said, there's been a lot of uh, bruised egos and bloody knuckles. Uh, through this primary season, and he is way, way, way behind Trump. But that doesn't mean that he can't be right about certain things. And he's certainly right about this op-ed. And it's an interesting one. He basically just calls out Biden um, for being weak because Biden is weak. Um, And he says what what should be going on in China. I'll just touch on it here. It says President Biden is set to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping this week, courtesy of Governor Gavin Newsom's red carpet rollout for the communist leader and his uh, if his administration's record is in the indicator Biden will focus more on flattering Xi uh, than holding his regime accountable and by the way just a little pause here that's exactly what happened when they first met he started fly uh you know started flattering him and saying how long their relationship has been going on I guess that's part of the diplomacy of it so it's hard to fault him for that but when you look at Biden's cabinet and Ron DeSantis goes on His cabinet has chased Chinese officials around the globe only to bow and sing their praises and make concessions when the meetings are finally secured. Now, here's where that's I find that amusing. Remember when Janet Yellen met with like their third in command in Beijing? Xi Jinping didn't even see her. Uh, He wouldn't even he wouldn't even see her. And what did she do? She bowed like 10 times within four and a half minutes. It was embarrassing. And what's more telling and what's more embarrassing is that bowing is not a thing in China. That is Japanese culture. It is not Chinese culture. But, you know, I guess they all look the same uh, to Janet Yellen. uh, And that's what she did. 
But further on down the line, you can see where uh, where DeSantis is going with this. Uh, this is what he says. He says the Biden administration claims to be cracking down, but continues seeking a detente with no accountability for China's spy balloon, COVID-19, cyber breaches, military provo- uh, provocations uh, or abuses against the the Uyghurs, uh, which, of course, is the Muslim minority in China. Uh, President Xi's CCP continues to steal our capabilities, undermine our economy and displace the United States on the world stage. Enough is enough. While adversaries such as Russia, Iran and North Korea threaten America and must be countered, China is our foremost national security threat. When you examine the conflict between Ukraine and Russia, who is Russia's main backer? China. If you look at what's happening in Gaza with Hamas, Much of the terrorism is funded by Iran. Well, whose regime is ultimately funded through the black market oil sales to China. Uh, And China supports and protects totalitarian regime in North uh, Korea. And he goes on and on. But I would highly recommend you read the article. It's on uh, the New York Post dot com. And he really makes a great point here. What do you think is going to happen with this big summit, uh, Hesh? Uh, probably more uh, deals will be made, more trade deals, more transfer of technology, these sort of things. And he did mention transfer of technology in his op-ed. And, uh, you know, he, he talks about how he would go about things. And he says, as president, I will act decisively to achieve defined ends. Um, those seeking to harm us will find no worse enemy. Uh, the threat China poses will require a government-wide response. I'll halt the flow of American capital and technology that empowers China's military. You know, so um, these are these are strong words. Uh, and, you know, he will, I think that he will definitely garner some uh, extra support from mainstream GOP and conservative-style voters for this. I, I don't think it's going to, you know, launch him in any you know, big points above Trump or anything, but, yeah. you know, um, as Ken Cuccinelli pointed out multiple times on our show, uh, Ron DeSantis is serious about the border and that in and of itself uh, is, you know, good enough for me. But I do, when I hear the China talking points, uh, sometimes I feel like they're sort of stroking the head of conservative Americans and there's really not much that can be done about it at this point. We've already transferred all the technology. They're already in all of our hardware and all of our software and the trade deals are the trade deals. So yeah, um, it, it's, it's the right path, but does it have teeth? I don't know, Steve. Well, here's the thing. I agree with you, by the way, uh, uh, wholeheartedly on that. It's uh, uh, this is basically closing the, uh, you know, the barn door after the cows have run free. However, yeah. he says this uh, in his uh, in his piece, he goes, as I did in Florida, I will bar Chinese purchases of farmland and property near critical infrastructure, counter espionage and cyber threats, block Chinese Communist Party uh, influence in our institutions uh, through malicious data usage and apps and enact recipro- uh, uh, I can't even say the word now. In other words, what he's saying here, though, the bottom line is, I don't have to read the entire article, is he has acted in this capacity. Um, he has told China to pound sand when it comes to buying up farmland in central Florida. He said, nope, that's not going to happen. He has banned the Confucius Institute's uh, in state-funded colleges and universities in Florida. He said, nope, you're not going to have those here. It would be nice if we had that on a national level. Um, and the problem with that, Hesh, as you well know, is that 
some folks are more than fine with that on in both parties. They, they don't really much give a damn. It's all about the chasing the almighty dollar, but we shall see. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this uh how this whole thing plays out with the with the summit. I I suppose the big winner is probably going to be China, if we're honest, because uh it's just it's just crazy. Any final words on that, brother? Uh, a little disheartening to see all those Chinese flags waving in San Francisco. That kind of, you know, as an American and a Californian, feels a little odd to see so many Chinese Americans who fled a communist country to come here and are now flying Chinese flags on the streets of San Francisco. I wouldn't mind if they were Taiwanese flags, but of course, I'm sure that that would never be allowed. Yeah, it is crazy. I saw somebody post a meme and it was a screen grab from the movie Red Dawn. And it said, one of these is a photo of Red Dawn. One of these is uh, San Francisco today during Cheese Visit. Which one is which? And you can't really tell the difference. <laughs> hey, by the way, did you know there's many ways you can listen to TNT radio? Why not stream us direct from our website right there on your desktop, tablet, or mobile device? Or you can download our app from the App Store. That's what we do. We even stream live on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. We've always got you covered on TNT Radio. Checking off the boxes. Established, reputable. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, uh, Hesher, it's time to bring Ruckus into the party here. On Wednesday, that would be today, Hunter Biden asked a court to issue subpoenas to four individuals, including former President Donald Trump, claiming that the criminal probe that led to uh, the tax and gun charges against him may have been politically motivated. <laughs> oh, this is this is just too funny. Uh, here with the story, uh, joining us now, TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Ruckus, you can't make it up, but uh, Hunter and his team can dream it up, I guess. Huh? What's up? The uh, projection doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, yeah. Um, so these, uh, yeah, so we've got... We've got a total of three senior officials as well as the former president involved with this uh, request uh, from Mr. Biden, uh, the younger uh, Biden Hunter, that is, who faces three federal gun charges, is demanding Trump and former Attorney General Bill Barr turnover communications and documents concerning the president's son or his criminal investigation. The demands for documents, which must be approved by a judge, of course, also extend to former Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue and former Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen. Um, Biden's attorneys wrote in court filings, quote, Mr. Biden seeks specific information from three former DOG officials and the former president that goes to the heart of his defense that this is possibly a vindictive or selective prosecution arising from an unrelenting pressure campaign beginning in the last administration in violation of Mr. Biden's Fifth Amendment rights under the Constitution, end quote. After a plea deal evaporated in Biden's case earlier this year, prosecutors in Delaware indicted the president's son on three 
gun-related charges in September. He is accused of unlawfully possessing a a firearm while addicted to a controlled substance and failing to disclose drug use when seeking to buy a weapon. Biden, who has acknowledged his struggles with addiction, pleaded not guilty. Of course, Republicans have long criticized the investigation into Biden, portraying his now-defunct plea agreement as a quote-unquote sweetheart deal and lambasting prosecutors for not charging him with additional crimes in their subsequent indictment. Biden's subpoena motion extensively references those criticisms, calling out by name House Oversight and Accountability Committee Chair James Comer and House Ways and Means Chair Jason Smith. Biden accused Trump and his congressional allies of mounting a, quote, sustained, almost nonstop public pressure campaign, end quote, for prosecutors to bring charges Comer's committee last week as part of their impeachment inquiry subpoenaed Hunter Biden and other members of the president's family. The GOP investigation into the Bidens has multiple prongs, including claims they were engaged in influence in influence peddling, excuse me, as well as claims that some money flowed to President Biden himself during his vice presidency. The White House, of course, has vigorously denied any wrong doing so isn't it fascinating um i think you've noticed this uh, phenomenon steve um every time there's a charge involving hunter biden there was a new charge against president trump so now uh comer's committee subpoenas hunter biden in their investigation and they're like oh yeah well two can play that game i'm gonna subpoena your side now you know what i mean what do you guys think (laughs) (laughs) it is true and you nailed it it's projectionism run amok i don't think any judge and frankly even a liberal judge is going to allow subpoenas to President Trump. Uh, I know they're trying to get Bill Barr. Are you kidding me? And then I love the defense of the gun charge. The gun charge, of course, is that he knowingly and willingly violated the, the law because he was under the influence of drugs at the time. That's specifically against the law to purchase a gun in that condition. His defense of that is, well, I was hammered, drunk. I was stoned out of my mind. How did I know any better? Doesn't seem like much of a defense. It's like saying, I'm sorry, I wrecked my car, officer, but you can't charge me with a DUI. I was too drunk to know I was drunk. I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know, uh, and I, I love the use of the term vindictive in there. Oh, yeah. this is some sort of vindictive investigation. In what way? And even if it is. Uh, isn't this the the law of the land now? Are we not in a two-tiered system of justice and a weaponized set of governments at this point? Lawfare is the way of the walk in the United States now, especially for progressives and Democrats. Um, and they pretty much, uh, thanks to George Soros and all the backing that many DAs have gotten from him, uh, activist lawyers, activist judges, uh, the, the, the scales are, uh, you know, Lady Justice's scales are very much tipped in a particular direction. So even if it is vindictive, uh, this is the lawfare that the left and the political system has told us is now normal. We know it's that's not. That's the coin of the realm. Yep. yep, that's the thing. So if this is the new normal, then they should expect a lot of vindictive investigations and lawsuits. And unfortunately, uh so should americans at this point you know we've got more examples of that happening than we do in the political realm at this point and uh one more thing uh stating that it was a violation of his fifth amendment rights 
<laughs> I read the entire Fifth Amendment while you were talking there, Ruckus. I'm sorry. Steve pointed out exactly why there was no violation of his Fifth Amendment rights there. Yeah. Unbelievable. Anyway. But, you know, everybody says whenever we talk about this Hunter Biden case, everybody says, oh, well, Abby Lowell, great, great attorney, great attorney. He is a good attorney. He's a damn good attorney. And by the way, he represents anybody that's willing to pay his tab. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. He's been a good attorney. But you're only as good as the case that's before you. So now when they start throwing out Fifth Amendments and uh, Fifth Amendment defenses and trying to subpoena people, it kind of lets you know where Abby Lowell's case is. Uh, It's in the same dumpster that uh, Hunter threw that gun in, apparently. Yeah, it's also very good. Yeah, and it's also funny how they love to rely on constitutional law and constitutionality when it benefits them, while what they actually are doing is just, you know, stepping on it day by day. Almost everything they do is a violation of multiple constitutional rights. Uh, Ruckus, anything further briefly on this one? Uh, Here's another cute one for you. Uh, The lawyers are complaining or claiming that certain investigative decisions were made as a result of guidance that was provided by the office of Mr. Rosen while he was then the deputy attorney general. And it just reminded me of certain decisions that uh, big uh, tech social media platforms played uh, based on um, the result of guidance coming from uh, another administration. Just saying. There you go. Turnabout (laughs) is fair play. All right. Thanks, Ruckus. We'll see you in the next hour. This is State of the Nation on TNT Radio. Jesse Zerowell on TNT Radio. In Nigeria, it was reported that Nigeria launches mass HPV vaccination campaign to curb cervical cancer. And this jumped out at me because given what's happening in Palestine, it is another example of the seemingly never-ending brutalization of vulnerable populations, to put it one way, whether through explicit means like the slaughter that is occurring in Palestine or through more discreet, one could argue, means like so-called vaccination, which is nothing but poisoning. Jesse Zerowell on today's News Talk TNT Radio. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Plug in. Website TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's news talk radio. It's the coolest. TNT. Three of the most powerful words ever written. In them, the hope of our nation was born. A hope of a nation governed by the people. Govern <laughs> a nation governed of the people, by the people, and for the people. Currently, our nation is divided and in financial trouble. Here's the good news. United, we can rise to change it as we restore our faith in God, freedom, and each other. I'm reading from the 2024 presidential candidate, Ryan Binkley's website. Mr. Binkley joins us now. Thank you, sir. Thank you for rejoining us here on State of the Nation. Um, Give us an update from your unique perspective on the 2024 presidential race. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be with you again. Again, uh, you know, right now, the 
the election is is crazy right now, right? Obviously, President Trump is uh, the front runner still, and uh, there's other candidates that are forming their lanes and have been for some time. And as you know, that I'm over here shouting in our Republican Party that it's time for a it's really time for a new message if we want to win the heart of America. You know, of course, I feel like we've lost. I think the the majority of our heart and soul is a Republican Party because we used to be this party that used to be about fiscal conservatism. We used to be care about finances and budgets. We also used to be the party that cared about the most disenfranchised. You know, that's how we started uh, is really caring about the most hurting. And we've kind of lost our connection. So I've been shouting, hey, let's get our finances in order. Let's really, you know, lead diligently economically, but also let's have a message for the poor. Let's have a message for urban America, transforming education through volunteerism, urban America renewal. And how do we do that? It's not just government money, but it's through, you know, job training, vocational trades. And so I'm, I'm forming my lane. Uh, and some people are starting to listen in Iowa and New Hampshire, where we've been the most prominent. Uh, but that's been our plan. So uh, everybody's kind of fighting their way. Obviously, we've had some fallout. Uh, you've seen uh, Mike Pence step out, uh, Senator Tim Scott step out. Uh, but we're still in this race and uh, we're in it for the long haul. Well, it's good to see you. Uh, it's good to see you, Ryan. Steve Hook here. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Uh, as you, everything you just said there is so uh, true. And it, and it, the thing that strikes me is that the Republican Party is is kind of in, in a disarray, but the Democrat Party is in serious disarray. And the Democrat Party, of course, is fracturing along lines of Israel, the Hamas, uh, Gaza thing. That's that's a real problem. Anti-Semitism is raising its ugly head uh, on college campuses and universities across the nation. But then we look over to the GOP side, and especially with this last election that went down a, co- a week or so ago, uh, the, the buzz seems to be, hey, look, man, we lost this because of one thing, abortion. Um, where do you come down on that? Because I think that I think that many of us would love to see abortion go away, except in the most extreme cases. But it seems to be a political liability. How do you get around that or how do you talk to that issue without ticking off so many folks? You know, this has been uh, something I've been talking a lot about, actually, from the very beginning. You know, the Republican Party, we have a messaging problem, you know, really throughout I think uh, not just in some of these states that you mentioned, Ohio, Kentucky, where we've lost some elections, but I mean, throughout the United States, um, and our messaging problem is this, what do we care about? You know, do we care about the most hurting in society? Do we care about a woman who's in a crisis pregnancy? Do we care about immigrants? You know, there's there's issues that we, we stand so strong for that if we're not careful in what we stand for, we have to still so we care about people. So what I've been saying is, listen, I'm pro-life. I obviously believe that life's in the womb and that's so important that we protect. At the same time, I recognize that when Roe v. Wade was overturned, nobody's heart was overturned. Nobody's heart changed on this matter. So it's just as divided as it was then. I think it's in the right place that it's in the state's issue now. But this is the job, I think, of the president of the United States of a leader today is to go, listen, states are figuring this out. Here's what I would do. Let's, let's as a pro-life president, Let's just do what we can to care for people in a moment of crisis, particularly young women. Did you know, I think it's estimated. I don't know the exact number, but I've had some people in the in the crisis pregnancy field tell me that probably 25 to 30 percent in their guess of abortions happen because young women can't afford financially the first year or two. They don't see a way out. What if we began to do more? What if the Republican Party said, listen, we care about life so much. We want to make sure that, you know, that's never a reason. 
and that we're leading this charge through churches and charities and volunteer movements to make sure that that is part of our narrative. Also, let's start an adoption movement. You know how many kids age out of foster care systems because they don't get adopted at 10, 12, 14 years old, many times end up in a cycle of poverty, don't make it to college or just find themselves in the streets. Many times people in prison came through the foster care system. We can change that narrative. I think this, Steve, when we do this, we start influencing people. We start being known as a party that cares instead of just what we're for or what we're against. We start letting people know we care about people. We do care about this issue, but we want to help navigate this. And I think when we do that, just like on other issues that I can talk about too, um, this is this is about people dropping their swords a little bit, knowing that they have leaders in place to see people. We have to see people again. Yeah, there I you like go. what you're saying there, Ryan. That's really important because, you know, it's become painfully obvious that we have been intentionally polarized against each other here in the United States, largely along the political lines. Of course, there's, you know, that and there's, of course, the after effects of, of Trumpism and, uh, you know, it's just that it's like, but then they went to everything. They, they polarized us politically over education, like everything, everything that's important to Americans, it feels like was assigned a location on the spectrum of identity politics and and this has become something that is just cannibalizing our nation i mean we've all felt it i'm sure you've felt it out there uh you know at the at the thanksgiving table for the last i don't know how many years perhaps uh and then remember there was a couple years where we weren't allowed to be at the thanksgiving table you know and and that actually um this mass polarization is something that i feel like really needs to be addressed at a federal level um, by doing things like maybe um, bringing back the Smith-Munt Act uh, or, and things like this, uh, taking, holding people responsibility for overreach during the COVIDian era, um, reining in big pharma. We've got advertisers just pummeling us, pummeling us, pummeling us with, you know, take this experimental mRNA gene shot. Um, and there's just no honesty about it. And they try to polarize that politically over us, too. Um, I want to ask you, after this brief headline, what do you think needs to be done to sort of walk the polarization back? Because you're talking about caring for people and the right and the left have, are seemingly sort of forgetting how to care about each other. And that is something a lot of us would like to see fixed. We'll get your question or your comment on that question on the other side of this headline with today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hey guys, great news. News Radio. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The World Health Organization claims it has lost contact with the health personnel inside the Al-Shifa hospital as the Israeli forces continue their precise and targeted operation. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rebuked his Canadian counterpart on social media late November 14th after Justin Trudeau urged Israel to protect civilian life in the brutal war it is waging on Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Sir Keir Starmer slammed Rishi Sunak's migration policy following the Supreme Court ruling the Rwanda plan unlawful. At TNT Radio, we never go home. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We're on air 24-7 online globally no matter what. We've got you covered on TNT Radio. Our guest is 2024 GOP presidential candidate Ryan Binkley. Follow him on the web at Binkley2024.com for his full platform and all updates. 
Mr. Binkley, what do you think about that? The massive polarization that we're experiencing. How do we walk this back? How do we repair the hurt? Well, first of all, I think, you know, we have to start speaking to it. And so as president, what I would do, I would just start talking to America. I'd start reminding us, hey, that we're all Americans first. And also remind us this, that, you know what, we're all different. And the, the polarization of our country can't, doesn't have to be that way. We can all contain our own unique beliefs and we can believe in different things without hating each other. We can actually respect each other. And I would start leading some conversations that way and actually tell people, hey, I think it's time that we listen to Abraham Lincoln's warnings to America. You know, the only other divided time that was more severe than the one we're in was the one that he was in. And he talked about this moment you know, that, that about America, he said, America, I'm going to paraphrase, you know, would never probably be destroyed, you know, from the outside. But if it was destroyed, that we ourselves would be its author and finisher, meaning where our own problem would be ourselves. And I, and I tell people this, the biggest threat against America is not China. It's not terrorism. It's, it's not Russia. It is ourselves and our ability to see each other and lead effectively. So what I would do as president, I'd speak to it. I say, listen, let's focus on some things we can agree on. Right now, inflation is impacting everybody. What are we going to do about it? We're just going to act like it's not there. Social Security is going to run out of money in eight years, whether you like it, love it, hate it or not. It, we're going to get, I'm 55, we're going to get 78 cents on the dollar in just a few years. That's it, unless we change some things. Uh, same with Medicare. It's, it's interesting. You know, what's happened is wage inflation doesn't keep up with regular inflation. It certainly doesn't keep up with healthcare inflation. So healthcare inflation's 40% higher. So I'm start speaking, listen, let's solve these problems together. These are not Democratic or Republican issues. You can't tax people into oblivion. We already know this. We have to address these and take a business pro person's perspective to some of these, solve them together. But I think speaking to it, also, you know, our tenor, you know, um, our own party's got the problem. I mean, did you see ourselves at our debates? We've lost the, you know, the Reagan rule, right, of just not disparaging a fellow Republican. We've just got to get beyond and say, listen, we can highlight our differences, but this is what I truly believe. I think people are ready for that. You know, when I hear people talk about the debates that they're seeing, they're just looking at that as some sort of crazy show. And it's not really compelling people anymore. They're not tuning in. So I think we got to speak to it. We got to give real solutions and we got to start respecting people. When we do that, they'll start listening. I've had that happen with, I mean, transgender kids on college campuses at, at town halls and different people in the LGBT community that we, we disagree with on fundamental things. But I said, listen, what can we focus on together? And I respect each other. And you know what? We were all Americans in that moment. And I think that's what we need to do. I think your point is, is, is well stated there, Ryan. I, uh, to to pick up on the uh, on the on the Lincoln uh, quote, he also you know a house divided uh, cannot stand, and that's exactly where we are right now. We are divided, and I think to Hesher's point, it seems like this division is quite intentional. I mean, every single time uh, Biden, uh, President Biden, talks to the American people, he always makes it a point to say these MAGA extremists. So if you if you support Trump. And I'm not talking about Trump, the man. I'm not talking about Trump, the personality, Trump, the boorish behavior. I'm talking about the policies that he enacted. If you were dare to say those were good, all of a sudden you're an extremist. And believe you me, and you know this as well as anyone, the media is going to immediately say, yeah, well, those people are the problem. Um, and it seems like we we live in a time of uh, click, like, thumbs up, thumbs down, share, 24-7 news cycle mentality. 
And in order to get those shares and those clicks, you have to be as divisive as possible. It's going to be your voice is like a, a you know, a breath of fresh air. But I, is it going to take I mean, are people going to to, to follow that example uh, or are we just going to have to go down this path before we're forced to follow it? Well, you bring up such a great point. Maybe that's the key to my media breakthrough, just acting crazy, right? And vilifying everybody. No, but I mean, we have been talking about this from the very beginning. I've got to be who I am. You know, at the end of the day, I can come out with some crazy statements as good as anybody. You know, this is what the gift, I call it the gift of sarcasm. It actually uh, can be, um, it's not helpful in a marriage, by the way. It's not helpful with kids. And so I had to learn that early on. But you know what? We use this gift in politics so much. And and at the end of the day, it gets likes, it gets hits. People want to hear it. Oh, that's funny. And then we find out, wow, these people aren't working together. And they're doing it just for that reason. And I think both parties do it. Let's be honest. You know, President Trump has done it his fair share. We've done it our fair share. Um, this is This is what we do. I'm just saying, listen, we've got to go down a different path. I want to speak clearly. Anybody that's ready to kind of end this, but also talk honestly about real answers Let's do it. Let's have honest conversations about things we disagree on. Let's have honest conversations about the border. How are we truly going to fix it? I've got a plan to fix it that actually secures the border in sanctuary cities. I mean, as gets rid of catch and release, but does something, too, that I think can get some Democrats on board with. Listen, we've got worker needs here. I, you know, a lot of my far right friends who say, hey, Ryan, let's kick everybody out in the country that doesn't belong here. I'm like, OK, but. Hey, there's no food by Friday if we do that. Are you sure you're ready for that? Why don't we pick people that have been here 20 years and that have been here and haven't committed crimes? Let's increase the worker registrations, maybe charge them a fine. Because you know what? Who's also committed the crime is the hundreds of thousands of businesses that have hired them or tens of thousands. So it's just tons. So let's let's just be honest. We have some work that needs to be done. We can come up with some solutions, but we have to lead better. So you take that example, you times that by every major issue, whether it's budget or healthcare or education, we have to lead this way. Yeah, I like that. Um, Ryan, in our last couple minutes here, um, I want to get your take on this because you talked about, you, you mentioned the border, and I have to bring this up. Uh, House Democrats, with the help of eight Republicans, voted down an effort by GOP uh, in the, it, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene in the House to impeach Homeland Security uh, Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas. And um, so we had a number of uh, Republicans who joined in there, and a lot of uh, conservatives are kind of upset about this. Can anything be done about that? I mean, Mayorkas, uh, he's a big part of the problem when it comes to our southern border. Well, I mean, I think I think we've got to hold the line. You know, I think I've heard recently where we didn't really hold the line or we're not thinking about that and making sure there's border funds in this next budget approval, I would be making sure that they did that. I, I think Mike Johnson should be doing that. Uh, of course, I think I'd be in favor of getting rid of anybody that didn't that's handled the border the way they've had. So I think everybody should be looking at that and making all those people accountable. I mean, what are they what are they doing? I mean, right now it's a wide open border. We've got drugs coming in that's killing a hundred thousand people a year. We've got human trafficking all time high, and and while People are washing their hands of this saying, I can't do anything about it. No, we elected you in office to do something about it. So that's that's one thing we've got to do. And this is the deal with the Republicans, you know, and Democrats. They're at a standstill. They don't want to meet together. Seal the stinking border. I mean, we've got to do that. I think everybody knows we're doing that. 
I think we got people in New York here. I mean, there's Democrats upset because hotels are being filled and they're being treated better than many of their, their citizens here. I'm here in New York today. I mean, this has got to change. We just got to come together and solve this big issue and hold leaders accountable to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, sir. Well, uh, Binkley2024.com is the website. Please get over there and check it out. Uh, we're big fans of Ryan Binkley, and uh, we wish you the best, sir. And thank you for getting your messages out there. You know, you've really uh, brightened the room here today. So thanks for what you're doing. Best of luck, and please come join Steve and I again, uh, Ryan Binkley. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'd love to be with you soon. Take care. Have a great day. All right. Yeah, this is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Who says legislation isn't a contact sport? We nearly came to blows today in the United States Senate as Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squared off against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien had been very critical of Mullen on X, tweeting, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Mark Wayne Mullen read that tweet and said, here is a place, now is a time you want to go? And Butterbean said, let's go. Cooler heads like Bernie Sanders intervened. They weren't going to come to blows anyway. This wasn't quite the caning of abolitionist Republican Senator Charles Sumner by pro-slavery Democrat Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, but it was good to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little enthusiasm for his position. Now, if we can only get Mark Wayne as focused on election integrity efforts and on budgetary issues as he is on posts on X. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. The conversation continues with Brian McLean and Steve Hook at State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, you are listening to State of the Nation, and we're very happy to welcome our next guest, uh, well, it looks like uh, the government shutdown has been avoided, at least for now. A CR was signed yesterday, last night, to be precise, uh, to avoid a shutdown, probably until the uh, early part of next year. And then we're going to do this thing all over again. Uh, joining us now to discuss this and a whole lot more, David Grasso, who is the CEO at Bold TV. Hello, David. Welcome to State of the Nation. How are you today, sir? Always great to be here to talk about the issues. What's up? Oh, right. not a lot. Uh, it's good to have you. So uh, it looks like uh, Mike Johnson had to capitulate a little bit here. Um, and this is the day and age we live in where every time a budget is due, it's last minute CR, continuing resolution. And then the uh, kvetching starts on who sold out who. Is this the way we're going to start? I mean, is this the way we're going to be budgeting our country this uh, going forward from now on? A CR every time? Or are we ever going to figure this out? I think Mike Johnson is doing something that's sorely needed in Washington, which is beginning the conversation about reforming the way we budget. And first, 
it can't be overnight because it always is a last minute thing. So while this might seem like they're kicking the can down the road, I think it's a lot smarter of a process than playing chicken with shutdowns and whatnot, which are devastating to the economy. I think eventually Republicans will need to you know, be focused and develop a sustainable strategy for changing the way things are funded in Washington. We have a fundamental problem with both parties are wrong about. We love democratic level of services, but we like Republican levels of taxation. And we have a structural deficit at this point that needs to be addressed. And it's not very partisan, it's basic math. You know, so if, if you hear people saying that the federal debt and deficits aren't a problem, they clearly don't understand the way things work in Washington. Uh, yeah. yeah, it wouldn't go down that way in your household. I mean, the way the government spends is like enough to put any normal American behind bars. Uh, the the deficit is is absolutely insane. I mean, the numbers we're talking about here are difficult to even fathom for for normal Americans. I mean, um, but I, I I hope you're right about uh, Johnson sort of looking towards reforming the way that we do that because there's there's a term uh our last guest brought it up uh fiscal responsibility i think it was uh i mean how how would that change our lives as americans if we actually had say like a flat tax and a government that was actually budgeting what it needed a government that removed um, at least a vast majority of this black bag budget stuff that we don't even have access to knowing what it is. I mean, what is it? Can we have an America that's actually fiscally responsible? Do you think we can ever get back to that? I think so. And I think a lot of times we talk about growing or shrinking government. And I think that's a reductionist conversation. I think we have to talk more about efficiency, right? What type of value are we getting for each taxpayer dollar that we spend? And I think that's a much more productive conversation. Democrats tend to say people need more help, grow the government. Republicans tend to say shrink the government. But it really depends on what you're talking about, right? It depends on what public problem you're trying to solve. So I think in general, we have to think more critically that this is math, this isn't politics. We only have so many tax dollars available. We have all these public problems. We are the world's leading military power and we have a lot of priorities. We have a exploding senior population and we also like normal humans like low taxes. But at a certain point there are trade-offs and there is reality and you can't just continue kicking the can down the road because eventually the future comes. And even right now, if you look at what we're spending money on, Every year we spend more and more on just interest on the debt. And that's not a sustainable strategy. We need to have fiscal sanity. That doesn't necessarily mean we're gonna leave people holding the bag and not take care of our citizens. It's just basic common sense like anything else. Seems, it does It does seem like uh, fiscal responsibility, when you even mention that, it's kind of like, oh, don't be so old fashioned. Uh, th th this is the world we live in now. <laughs> Um, which, which of course is a little bit, you know, a little bit silly, but that said, how are we going to, I, I agree with you, uh, Dave, when you say that, uh, you know, this is a reductionist conversation, I get it. I would like to shrink the size of federal government. If, if you live in a blue state and you want, uh, the government to be your, 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 you know, your, your, your baby daddy, uh, and take care of you from, from cradle to grave, vote that into power. But that's not the role of the federal government. The federal government has no business being there. And I and and it, it seems like we've gotten to a point now where you have two sides diametrically opposed to not to their 
political parties, but to their jet, their basic ideology, the way they view the world. I can dis- discuss this with my liberal friends, and they will tell you, without even batting an eye, that the federal government's job is to take care of its citizens, whether it's health care, whether it's education costs, whether it's housing. That's their job. That's what I elect them to do. These people are sorely lacking in, in constitutional history. And if you want that, move to, frankly, where you live, California. I mean, uh, yeah. vote it in, but don't put it in the federal government. How, how do we get people back to basic understandings of the roles of a constitutional representative republic? How do we train that into, into people again? I think we can start by admitting first that the conservative movement has a problem which is that they don't practice what they preach. The reason why conservatives, <laughs> you know, are voted into power is to be conservative, not to say they're conservative and then spend just as much money as Democrats just yeah, on their yeah. own pet projects. So if you are a conservative, if you are a constitutional conservative, never mind the culture war, never mind all this stuff, do what we elected you to do, which is to restore fiscal sanity and promote the very nature of math is math. Okay, that would be my starting point. I don't mind. I'm a bipartisan person. I don't mind conservatives being conservatives. I have a problem when the Trump administration comes came in and said we have a spending problem and spent as much as ever. And that is a huge problem for the conservative movement. So at this point, we have both parties that have a spending problem. So if you want to set yourself apart in the way you're saying and say, hey, that's not the values we have as this country, then be a conservative. Be exactly what you're supposed to be. Don't say that you are and then not do what you're supposed to do when you're in power. Well, seen a lot of that on Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill seems to be the uh, ground zero for that. It's like, I, I'm, I feel like what happens is, and we're seeing this in the congressional hearings right now, um, since the 118th Congress took over, Congressional hearings have put so many things on the record, but it seems like many of the GOP members there, it's like they get, it's almost like a social media sort of effect where it's like they get the, they know how to push the outrage buttons on the public. They know that their questions will, um, you know, cater to conservative thinkers, yet um, nothing happens for it it's like i see opportunities for change there in some of the things that they're putting on record whether it's the you know ways and means committee the weaponization committee you know the one looking into the pandemic we've got so many of them um there's also the impeachment one but you know it's like we see these hearings we hear the words that we want to hear if we're conservatives but then what do they do it's like they just continue to fundraise and then they continue to you know, break off in packs of a dozen or eight and vote with Democrats on, you know, things that are really important to conservatives, like, for example, impeaching Mayorkas. You know, I think a lot of times as someone who's a registered independent, a lot of these committees like weaponization, like the pandemic, I'm more of a forward facing person. I'm sure the government has made many mistakes and it's more like, a okay, well, sure. And sure, I'm sure the government has been weaponized by both parties, by both people. None of this is surprising to me. Everything is politically motivated. We're not going to sit here that either side's hands are clean. I'm more concerned about big issues. And I think what you're suggesting, and this is a mistake we make in the media, is that according to the media, there are only two types of Congress people, which are, you know, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's or the Matt Gates. 
And that's really only the tails of the distribution. This is the, the, the most extreme left and most extreme right. We really need to encapsulate that in a two-party system, there are a lot of there is a lot of room for ideological differences within a party. And you're exactly right. While, you know, these congressmen and these committees may say the words that appeal to conservatives and Democrats will do the same when they're back in power, they fundamentally don't solve our stickiest problems. Our stickiest problems are healthcare costs are out of control. We have too many people retiring and not enough people being born. These are big issues. You know, we haven't quite figured out how to create a sustainable economy that doesn't destroy the environment. Right. And we haven't quite figured out how to, you know, create a new world that is bad. And that's really on Congress to do that. Do I think, you know, as a bipartisan person, impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas would fundamentally change the world? No, I'm sure it would make conservatives happy. But, you know, I, I, as a bipartisan person, I think it's really important to focus on those big issues. But yes, it is always a balance, right? Because you have the base and then you have these public policy issues. And I think politicians, need to walk and chew gum at the same time. They need to appeal to their base, but they also need to have, you know, sustainable solutions to the problems that bedevil us. Well, you know, David, you mentioned that uh, that you don't think Mayorkas being impeached would would, would solve anything per se. And I, I get where you're coming from with that. The problem that I have with it is Alejandro Mayorkas, his, his, uh, his fealty to the Constitution is very much in question as far as I'm concerned. He took an oath that he would uphold the Constitution. One of the very first things you promised to do is to protect our sovereignty and our border. He is specifically in charge of that. He has wittingly, wittingly let that end of the bargain down. He has decided, I'm not going to do that, probably at the behest of those higher up. But the problem is now you've got people in both parties that aren't on the political extremes, people in blue cities like New York that are having a Chicago is another example, having real problems with the immigration crisis. It is a crisis now. So if you don't think we should impeach him, should we at least say, okay, look, you're not getting the job done. And if you don't get the job done toot sweet, we're going to press charges against you because you have let down the country. You have, you are, you are negligent in your job. I mean, how do you approach that? I think you have to remember whose role it is to fix our immigration system. And that is Congress, right? Alejandro Mayorkas is more a symptom of the problem rather than the problem. We have an immigration system that really doesn't make any sense. We have millions of people living here and we have to do something for them. And at the same time, we have people walking across the border that get papers instantly. That is unfair. So we need a more sustainable solution that requires pain on both sides for immigration. We are all fundamentally the children of immigrants. At the same time, we are a nation of laws. And we need to find a, a, a great balance between that, that everyone is going to hate. Because that's the way, when you know there's compromise, somebody, everyone should feel a little pain. And that's really fundamentally Congress's job. Congress's job is to come up with a solution so that we're not living with exactly what you're talking about, which is just unmitigated dysfunction that is now affecting big cities like New York, Chicago, and of course, all the border cities that have been living this nightmare for a really long time. But, you know, at the same time, we need an immigration system that makes sense. We need to have certain realities. Like, if we really don't want to stop undocumented migration, why don't we go after employers instead of people that are coming here for economic freedom? That makes a lot more sense to me. And these are common sense issues that can be sussed out in Congress. 
an executive appointee impeaching that person is not going to solve the problem. It is a symptom of the problem rather than the problem. Well stated. Well stated, sir. Um, now, what do you changing changing subjects a little bit here? Uh, what's going on in San Francisco? I've heard that the streets are all cleaned <laughs> up. We've seen pictures of it. It's got some people riled up in various directions. Uh, what, any observations you can share? Yeah, well, I live in downtown San Francisco. I'm right past the uh, security perimeter. So, in fact, the protests are in front of my house. I woke up this morning to an anti-China, anti-capitalist, uh, anti-everything, shut down APEC protests. I don't understand what the demands were. There were some Palestinian flags waving. But there were more cops than, than people. So I, I don't know what the point of that was. Uh, right now, there was just another anti-China protest with a bunch of Tibetan flags that past my house because of course today uh this is the day that president biden and president xi of course the president of china are meeting and every, that's on everyone's mind uh regarding the homeless situation here in san francisco you know what you read about is true but that is only a part of the city and it is a very small part of the city and what the city's tried to do is concentrate everything into what i like to call like a red light district imagine like an amsterdam you know where where they keep everything in a, in a certain area I live right on the border of the red light district. So it's one of these things in media that we have to be careful about because everything you're reading is true, but also the other narrative is true. Most people live here and do not have to encounter that reality, but that reality does exist here and something desperately needs to be done about it. Well, you know, you mentioned, uh, David, that you, you've seen some Tibetan flags and Palestinian flags. You go to where that, that uh, meeting is happening and where Newsom took out the, uh, the the spray washers and got rid of the needles and the fecal matter and everything else that was nasty around there. There's Chinese flags flying. Uh, we were talking about in the first segment. Uh, people have been posting pictures of people out there waving uh, the Chinese, the CCP flag. Uh, that seems a bit odd. Um, but but to, to, to shift a little bit here. Why is it that it took the leader of a communist nation to clean up this district of San Francisco when the people of San Francisco have been clamoring for it for months and months and months. And it wasn't until Xi Jinping shows up that Gavin Newsom decides to get off his ass and do something about it. He even said, some people say we're cleaning this up because big people are coming into town. Well, that's true because that's true. What kind of an answer is that? Why didn't he do it for his own citizens? You know, the optics of this are a mess. So I'm not going to sit here and excuse. I have a policy of not defending any politicians, regardless of their party. Uh, of course, Gavin Newsom is the ex-mayor of San Francisco. He is now the governor of California. The, right. And the area that you're specifically mentioning is not usually covered in fecal matter or needles. It has a little bit. Really, it's three or four long city blocks away from the area that you see the pictures of in the Daily Mail that we all love reading, you know, what I like to call the... Uh, you know, the 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 homeless, you know, beat that everyone likes to write about. Um, this is not the first time that the city's been cleaned. It was cleaned during Dreamforce. Salesforce is the largest company here in San Francisco. They have the largest skyscraper, Salesforce Tower. It was also cleaned for him. The billionaire that owns that is called Mark Benioff. And Gavin Newsom was on a panel with him and was joking about the same thing. So while this is not great and what you're saying is true, I think at least 
that Gavin Newsom is poking fun at this is actually an admission that something needs to change. And like anything else, whether you go to Alcoholics Anonymous or, you know, the shrink, the first thing you do when you have a problem is admit you have a problem. And I think they're finally getting here in San Francisco. All right. Well, I tell you, that's good to hear. I, I hope they can admit that my name is Gavin and I, and I have a problem. <laughs> Spending your money. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right, uh, listen, David. David Grasso, yeah. thank you for joining us, brother. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Always Great a pleasure. Yeah, Always. at Bold TV on X.com. Of course, anywhere else you want a shout out to send people. Yeah, at Grasso Roots, G-R-A-S-S-O-R-O-O-T-S. It's a play on Grassroots on Instagram. You can follow me. All right. Thank you, David Grasso. We'll talk to you again real soon. Stay tuned. we got more State of the Nation coming up after this top-of-the-hour news with today's News Talk TNT Radio.